Welcome to the 28th episode of the Head Kick KO Podcast. Today we're going to be taking a look at UFC 262. We're going to talk about most of the fights from the main card, and I'm going to give you my opinions on the fights themselves, and then I'm going to touch base on what is next for all of these guys. Then, after that, we're going to take a look at some other news inside of the UFC, because there were a lot of fights that were booked, a lot of important fights too, that were booked last week, so I'm going to touch base on all those. Then we're going to end by looking at next week's fight card, which is Cody Garbrandt versus Rob Font in your main event. And that should be a very good card, so we're going to touch base on that. So, to start off, obviously, we're going to start at the main event of UFC 262. This was one of my favorite fights of this year. Uh, The first round could go down for round of the year so far. Uh, It was a great round. We saw early... Um, we had knockdowns, we had Michael Chandler, you know, almost finish that fight, but before that, we had Charles Oliveira on the back of Michael Chandler, he was able to take the back, and Michael Chandler, very impressive here, because he was able to get off of, get out of that position, I should say, because Charles Oliveira is a high, high, high level Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, and there's a chance that he is the best BJJ practitioner in the UFC right now. I know Damian Maya might be able to take that, but he's on his way out. So Charles Oliveira is the new age. I, sh- I shouldn't say new age, but um, he is at the, he's a top tier practitioner of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu regardless. And for Michael Chandler to be able to explode and get out of a bad position with someone of that high level is very impressive. And For Charles Oliveira to be able to withstand some of the power punches that Michael Chandler landed early in the first round, and he was able to get this fight to the second round, and then obviously in the second round, um, 10, 20 seconds in, Charles Oliveira landed a a very impressive hook, and it was very fundamental. You know, that's the one thing about Charles Oliveira and his stand-up is he was very fundamentally strong. You know, Michael Chandler came in and he left himself exposed. There was a second where he didn't, you know, have a lot of head movement and he didn't have his hands up and, you know, just a slip in fundamentals for a split second by Michael Chandler and Charles Oliveira was able to take advantage of that. And that is something that many wrestlers and really just grapplers in general aren't able to do in, you know... And really take advantage of mistakes made by strikers on the feet. And Michael Chandler made a mistake and Charles Oliveira capitalized on that. And then once he landed that big right hook, you know, Michael Chandler wasn't out. He was, It wasn't a flush KO, but Michael Chandler was knocked down. And then Charles Oliveira immediately smelled, saw, the, saw the blood in the water and he had great finishing instincts, he was in his face, and he pressured Chandler, and he never gave Chandler a second to recover, and he eventually finished that fight. So, the the striking of Oliveira was the most surprising thing to me in this fight. I, I, I knew that Chandler, I mean, everybody knows that Chandler is so fast, powerful, explosive, and that he is a great wrestler too. So, for Charles Oliveira to be able to come in and win this fight, on the feet shows that he is a better striker than a lot of people give gave him credit for and you know I would be included in that I think I overlooked his striking 
coming into this. I said both guys were, you know, better strikers than they were being out made out to be, and I believe that. But I didn't think Charles Oliveira was as good of a striker as he showed, even though I thought he was a little bit underrated. But he was way being underrated in his striking way more than I alluded to. So respect to Charles Oliveira for that. And the big standout to me in this is that Michael Chandler, this is going to sound weird, but the biggest thing that stood out to me was that Michael Chandler is that good at lightweight. Because that first round was tremendous from Chandler. Uh, two judges scored it at a 10-8. I didn't see a 10-8. I saw a 10-9. I have trouble scoring a 10-9 when Oliveira, or I have trouble scoring a 10-8, excuse me, when Oliveira is on the back of Chandler. You know, I don't, because that is such a dominant position, and you score 10-8s by being dominant, and Charles, and Michael Chandler was being dominated for a minute. So, you know, I have trouble scoring that a 10-9 when Oliveira had some very strong moments. So, yeah, or excuse me, I have trouble scoring that a 10-8. So, but still, nonetheless, very impressive round by Michael Chandler, and he proved that he is one of the best at lightweight. But Charles Oliveira has shown that he has the heart to push through that and was able to find a finish when it was presented. So, as of right now, Charles Oliveira is the UFC lightweight champion, and he has a very exciting future because Charles Oliveira is going to have some fun fights here in the future. Regardless of who is next for Charles Oliveira, it's going to be a fun fight. And if he can take out, if he can get two or three title defenses, you know, against the likes of the types of fighters that are going to be coming up next, it's going to, you know, show that he is a all-time great lightweight. He has that potential here based off his skill and the skill of the opponents that he will be facing. So what what is next for Charles is the question. And for me, I think it's pretty obvious, and I think most people would agree with this. As I'm not pulling something out of left field for this. I think it's the winner of Poirier versus McGregor, especially if Dustin Poirier wins. If Poirier wins, you know, he would be the most overqualified um title challenger in a long time him and when Robert Whitaker gets his next title um, opportunity but as of right now if Dustin Poirier with the wins he's had and since his last loss a win over Hooker and two wins over McGregor assuming talking as if he wins this fight which this fight I'm not overlooking this and saying Poirier will win I'm saying that in this situation if Poirier wins he would be Build as you know right now he's being billed as the best lightweight in the world outside of Habib by many people many people believe that so for Oliveira if he is able to get in there with Dustin Poirier assuming Poirier wins he has an opportunity to really cement himself as the best lightweight in the world if you beat Dustin Poirier there's no one going to be arguing that you're not the best active lightweight lightweight in the world people are always going to say Habib and that's understandable because when you it's the same thing we've seen with GSP. When you walk away at the top, you're going to have the next generation of guys. They're going to constantly be compared to that fighter. And that's no fault of Charles. The, that conversation is always going to be there with the lightweight champion for a long time as well, Habib. That's always going to be talked about. So 
you know, that's something that I, I almost don't even want to consider here because, you know, there's no point in comparing someone who's retired. And I don't think Habib is coming out of retirement anytime soon. You know, there's potential that he does. But I don't want to, you know, sit here and talk about Habib versus, you know, or Habib versus, you know, anyone because he is retired. So we'll move on from that. But if Oliveira can go out there and get a shot against Poirier and beat Poirier, there's not going to be a single person questioning whether he's the best in the world. Because I saw a lot of people saying he wasn't, even though he was a champ. A lot of people are saying Poirier beats him. And that's a reasonable take. I'm not going to crucify anyone for saying that they think that Poirier is the best active lightweight on the world. That's a good take. And I think the only conversation is between Charles and Dustin for active guys. So I'm not going to, you know, sit here and, you know, debate that because it's not that important. I think we eventually see that fight sometime down the road. And if Oliveira can get that fight and win that fight, he's putting himself in a very good position. And on the flip side of that coin, if McGregor wins, then, you know, that's the biggest money fight. That's the biggest fight you can get in terms of growing your fan base. And there will be so many eyes on that fight. And that is a fight that Oliveira is going to have a good chance in. You know, Oliveira is so good on the ground. And we've seen that Connor is, you know, a little bit weaker on the ground. And that's as of no fault to Connor almost because Habib is so good and he was exposed by Habib. But, you know, Oliveira is one of those guys who is a next-level grappler. So, for for that fight, I think Oliveira would be favored by many hardcore fans. The Lions in Vegas are always going to represent Conor as a favorite because they get so much action. But the inter- what I mean by that is so many people bet on Conor that he's going to always be the favorite so that Vegas can cover if Conor wins. But if you talk to someone, you know, inside of the UFC or that watches regularly, they'll probably tell you that Oliveira will win that fight. And, you know, Oliveira, like I said earlier, if he can beat McGregor or Poirier, he's adding to a legacy. He's adding to, you know, how he is perceived by many fans. So Oliveira is going to have a big opportunity here in his next fight. And the dark horse, I think, is Justin Gaethje because... He didn't, I don't think they're going to make that fight, but it's a possibility because you never know what happens in MMA. If something happens that it's not McGregor, if it's not Poirier, it'll likely be Gaethje, you know? If something happens that Poirier goes out there, for example, beats McGregor, but then Poirier also gets injured in that fight and has to, you know, take six months to a year off, that would be a situation where Justin Gaethje could come in and steal that opportunity. So I think that Gaethje's name is not out of this yet, but this is something to that I don't imagine will happen, barring any unforeseen circumstances. But Gaethje is still one of those guys who a lot of people hold in high regards, and understandably so. But I have a hard time giving Gaethje this shot when his last fight was a loss, albeit to Habib, but he also has a loss against Poirier on his record. And stylistically, we saw Habib really, you know, looked very dominant on the ground against Gaethje, and he was able to submit him very easily. Now we have to ask the question, was that because Gaethje is 
bad at jujitsu or is that because Habib is so good? Both can be true and one can be true. And the one that we know for a fact is that Habib is very good on the ground and he's very good at jujitsu. So I think early on, a lot of people would. But on the flip side, we saw Oliveira get touched up a little bit by Chandler. And if Gaethje, you know, is able to connect like Chandler was able to connect, do we see a situation where um, Oliveira doesn't get out of that first round? And I think that's a question that we need to ask ourselves. <coughs> Excuse me. My bad. But, you know, so that could that could be billed as a very interesting match, but I just don't see it happening as of right now. But, you know, that could be a fight that we do see sooner rather than later, especially if Gaethje can go out there and get a win against another top guy. And speaking of what's next for Gaethje, that also comes in line with our next question is what is next for Michael Chandler? So Michael Chandler did prove that he is one of the best in the world. He looked that good, but we saw some flaws in his game, whether that is, you know, some slight fundamentals, errors in boxing that can be improved upon. But he looked a little tired after the first round. That's a, was another issue. And I don't know if that, you know, that I don't want to say that he was tired, but he did appear tired. You know, he could have went and been on that stool for a minute and he could have been fine coming into the second round and his cardio could have went five rounds. But that's just something to think about. But I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, Chandler has bad cardio because that is something that, you know, we didn't necessarily see. But that is a possibility. So I don't want to look past that. But at the same time, I don't want to over, you know, overanalyze his cardio. And that the same exact thing can be said with his chin. I don't want to overanalyze his chin. But the at the same time, it's hard to look past because he was finished in that fight. And it was just a fundamental hook that caught him right on the chin. Great timing that could have played into it. But he was also dropped by Pitbull on a strike that, you know, didn't seem that impactful. And albeit that was a, on the back of the head um, a little bit. But that is something that, you know, does concern me with Chandler. And I might go back and look at a couple more Chandler's fights recently. I know in the past his fights with Eddie were wars. So I'm not saying historically over Chandler's career that he has had a poor chin. I'm saying as of late, you know. So if there's any pushback on that, don't give me a fight from 10 years ago and say, oh, look at this, or five years ago. I'm saying as of late, we have seen a more suspect chin from Chandler, and that could be apart from aging and being in said wars with the likes of Eddie Alvarez and others. So that's just something to think about with Chandler, but from speed, strength, he has all of those factors, and he can still he can still achieve his goal of being a lightweight champion. Charles Oliveira was able to achieve that goal on Saturday night, but Michael Chandler still has an opportunity to achieve that same goal. So what is next for Chandler? I said already his path aligns with Justin Gaethje's. I think that's a good fight for, for both guys. I think that Keiichi, if you beat Chandler, you just beat a guy who challenged for the title. That gives you some rub to fight for the title next. And if you're Chandler, if you go out there and beat Gaethje, Gaethje is someone who is looked at in high regards. So, you know, that is gets you back in that title picture. And they're at, well, I shouldn't say in the title picture. They're in the title picture, but in the title, like, 
actual talk to fight for the title next. But outside of that for Chandler, there's going to be a lot of movement in these rankings. Tony Ferguson is at five. Chandler's at four. They both lost. Oliveira's at three. He's going to move up to champ. So we're going to be looking at Poirier and Gaethje are going to stay at one. Oliveira, like I just said, moves to champ. Now you have an opening at three. So what do you do at three? Does Michael Chandler move up from four to three, even though he just lost? Because at five, you have Tony Ferguson. So Tony Ferguson is not moving up. Do you move Daryush up from nine to three? So these rankings, when they come out, I'm going to be very interested in where everyone is lined up in these rankings. Do you move Connor from six to three? Does Connor go above Chandler? Um, I think Connor's going to move up a little bit because, you know, there's going to be two spots that are really going to open in those top five because you have one automatic opening because Chandler, or excuse me, Oliveira is moving to champ status. So that opens one spot in the top five rankings because there was no champ before that. And then Tony Ferguson is at five. So does he's definitely going to drop out of the top five. We'll talk more about Tony in a second here. Um, and then you have Connor at six, RDA at seven. Do we see Connor and RDA both move into that top five? Does, so there's so many questions. How high does Daryush rise? Cause he's going to rise. But, um, what do we do with hooker? Because he's coming off losses to two premier lightweights in Chandler and Poirier. How high does Islam go? Because Islam, you know, he's booked against an unranked guy. But he's got to win over Dober, who just entered the rankings at 15. Gillespie looked good. Kevin Lee is still in the rankings. Does he drop out because he's moving to 70? Fajara just lost. You know, so I'm interested in what's next for these lightweight rankings. We're going to see, you know, probably the whole division is going to be ranked differently. And there's going to be someone enter the rankings, at least one. How far does Tony fall? Today is Monday as of the recording this, so the rankings drop tomorrow. So, you know, I might put out a tweet or a TikTok talking about these rankings because I am very interested. And a lot of people say the rankings don't matter, but the rankings matter in a way where rankings matter when booking fights because it's tough to get guys to accept fights based off their rankings. Title fights... Into the UFC, it doesn't matter. But in terms of getting, you know, very little guys will look at their ranking of being number three and, you know, take a fight against the guy ranked at 10. So that's just something to think about in terms of booking fights that these rankings do matter in that sense. So I'm excited to see where these come out. And that bridges us right to our next fight, which is Tony Ferguson versus Benil Daryush. First off, the large portion of this segment is going to be spent talking about Tony Ferguson because I think there's more to talk about there. But first, we're going to start with Benil Daryush. Now, in a minute here, I'm going to go into talking about Tony, and I don't think Tony is the same fighter, but I don't want that to come across as I am, as I am, you know, taking anything away from Benil because I was very impressed by Benil. A lot of the things he did were very fundamentally sound and, you know, great jujitsu. So I think that is something that, you know, 
he didn't beat Tony by catching him and Tony has a fading chin. He outpositioned Tony. There was a lot of times where Tony created scrambles and Benil Dariush won those scrambles. So from a fundamental grappling standpoint, Benil Dariush looked incredible and that is undisputable. But with that being said, Tony Ferguson doesn't look like the same fighter one bit. The look in Tony's eyes, you know, his body looks not as strong. And I think now Tony Ferguson could be working harder now than he was in his prime. And I don't want to sit here and say Tony needs to retire because Tony is putting in the work, but he's just not seeing the rewards. This isn't a situation where a guy is old and his body is, I shouldn't say his body isn't breaking down, but we have seen a clear decline in Tony. You know, in the Gaethje, and I don't want to say Gaethje broke him. I think this is a result of aging. I think um, when, when in that Gaethje fight, I think it was more competitive than these last two in the sense because he landed that big uppercut in the second round and he had Gaethje hurt. And there was a sense where there was a moment where you were like, oh, Tony's going to win this fight. Against Oliveira, there was never a moment outside of the first 30 seconds that I was like, oh, Tony has a chance. Same thing with Daryush. So, and to me, you can tell a lot by the look in Tony's eyes. It sounds weird, but there were moments in that fight where Tony's laying on the bottom going for a darce. And it looks like he's just trying to get that darce because he doesn't he doesn't have anything else to do. And this is tough for me to say. I hate criticizing Tony because Tony is one of my favorite fighters. So I don't want to sit here and sound like a hater, but I also don't want to see Tony continue to fight if that's the outcome we're going to keep seeing. And I, if you, if you can't beat Benil Daryush, you know, it wasn't even close. If you can't come close with Daryush, are you going to beat Oliveira? Are you going to beat Poirier? Are you going to beat Are you going to beat Gaethje? Are you going to beat Chandler? Are you going to beat Hooker? You know? Are you going to beat Islam? I I don't think so. I think if Tony wants to continue, I think he needs to move to 170. And I say that because the cutting weight and aging at the same time is not a good combo, I don't think. So I think that, you know... Being in a situation where you can not have to worry so much about the weight, that could help his performance, and it's worth a shot. Um, if not, I don't want to see him continue at 170. I think the only potential thing here for, or excuse me, I don't want to see him continue at 155. If the one thing that would intrigue me at 155 is if Connor loses, Tony and Connor would be a fight that I would be interested in interested in because Tony wouldn't have, you know, I think, you know, I think if Connor loses, people are going to be talking having the same conversation about Connor as we are about Tony. So, people are going to be saying Connor needs to hang it up. Right now people are saying Tony needs to hang it up. And that's if Connor loses, obviously. But with that being said, if you pair them up against each other, you know, have one guy get back on track in the winning column, and I think that would help 
the winner. And for the loser, you know, it would really, you know, kind of speed up the process of retirement. So I need, I think Tony needs to keep his eye on that fight because he could still get that payday with Connor. So hopefully I don't think that's out of the question. And I think that is something to think about. If I'm Tony, I'm not booking a fight till after that because that is too big of an opportunity. So that is just something to think about. And um, for Tony, for Daryush, what's next for Daryush? Um, let's see how high he rises in the rankings. I've seen RDA and I've seen Chandler as two names getting tossed around. I think those are both interesting options. I think Chandler versus Daryush would be fun. A lot of fun. And the same can be said about RDA. So um, either one of those guys, you know, I guess it depends with what are we doing with Chandler. Because I think uh, if Chandler goes Gaethje, then RDA and Daryush seems like a layup to me. But other than that... Um, uh, I don't. I I think those are the two names as of right now that we can see Daryush against, and then getting a win over either of those guys pushes you very close to that title opportunity. So that's just my thought. I don't think we see Daryush against Gaethje. I think that is, you know, those are two Ali Abdelaziz managed fighters. So I don't think we see that matchup um, right now. And it sounds like both those guys are friends. Daryush told the story about how Gaethje helped him grocery shop when him and his wife were going through something. I don't know all the details, but um, it sounds like Gaethje and Daryush have a very good relationship, and I wouldn't imagine them fighting unless they're fighting each other for the belt, um, similar to Burns and Usman. So that's just something to think about. So I think the two big names right now are Chandler versus RDA. And don't be surprised if you're Ali. Ali could make this play where he gets Gaethje Chandler, RDA, Daryush, you know, kind of line strategically getting, you know, because getting Gaethje that fight against Chandler, then that gets RDA or that gets Daryush fight with RDA. So that's just something to think about there. And uh, flip side of that, if you get Gaethje a fight where if you get Daryush bucked against RDA, that pretty much forces the UFC's hand of Chandler versus Gaethje if they want to fight soon. So that's just something to think about that I think could be a very interesting talking point moving forward. And then the next fight we're going to touch on, Caitlin Chukagian versus Viviane Arjuno. This was, um, I don't want to say a robbery. I scored it for 2-1 Arjuno in terms of rounds. Um, I understand the scoring of 2-1 Chukagian. I'm not going to go against that. I personally don't have that. Um, I don't think that is the most popular scorecard I think the most popular scorecard is 2-1 Arjuno so but with that being said there was a 30-27 for Chukagian and that might be the worst scorecard I've ever seen in my whole entire life so let's get our let's get our stuff together here judges and um I just wanted to point that out because that is absolutely terrible and Stock really rose here for Arjuno, I think, because she was, I don't want to say a pro, um, I don't want to say a prospect, but you, you kind of get what I'm saying here. She was the seventh ranked fighter and she was fighting this number two ranked fighter and she arguably won. With that being said, she's not in a position to where she can fight for a title right now because it doesn't look like she had three round cardio. So if you don't have three round cardio, you don't have five round cardio. I think that's a pretty simple assessment. So I think Arjuno has championship 
potential, but I don't think that she has reached. Yeah, I don't think she's come close to that yet. So she can keep working on that. And then for Trukagian, um, she's in a tough spot because I don't think we see that Shevchenko rematch soon. I think she's got to win some fights before we get there. Um, Chukagian, yeah, she's in a not a great spot. And I don't think we see the Andrade rematch either, really, right now. You've got Murphy, Jennifer Maya, Calvillo, Calderwood. I don't know how they're going to match this up. This is going to be interesting to see. Um, a couple of these are booked. I know Calderwood is booked against one of them. I think it's Calderwood versus Murphy. I'm not 100% sure. Um, I'll check on that real quick. But either way, either way, that doesn't make too big of an effect on... Chukagian because she's going to have to keep taking out some more of these top contenders and she's almost in a she's almost you know in a gatekeeper spot I think yeah they've got Chukagian or excuse me Calderwood versus Murphy what were they doing with Jennifer Maya I I can never remember some of these bookings sorry about that so um you know Shevchenko is really cleaning out this division. And that makes it tough for people who have already lost to Chukagian to advance their careers forward. So I think Chukagian's in that spot a little bit. I think Jennifer Maya's in that spot. Oh, we got Maya versus Jessica I. Okay. Yeah, I think that just puts fighters in, you know, um, for Andrade, Chukagian, Jennifer Mayo, what are you doing next in your careers? Because I don't think anyone watched any of those fights and was like, oh, they still have a chance against Shevchenko. I don't think anyone thought that watching those fights. So they're all not in a great spot. But at the same time, they're still elite fighters in that weight class. But they're just still levels behind Shevchenko. Not, that's not their fault. Chukigian is just, or excuse me. Shevchenko's just on a different level. So, I think just... Chukagian's probably going to have to wait for some of these outcomes to play out between Murphy, Calderwood, Maya, and I. And then maybe take a winner or loser of one of those. And, you know, it all depends on who Valentina gets booked against next as well. That plays a factor into it. And for Arjuno, you know... You can't really move her up in the rankings because she just lost. Jessica Eyes booked. She already beat Roxanne Mataferi. Alexa Grasso is an interesting fight. Andrea Lee, she had a good win over the weekend. That's also potential there. So I think uh, there's some fights that make sense for Arjuno. I think that both that uh, Andrea Lee and Alexa Grasso would make sense in a way. So that's where we could what we could see next for her. And then moving on. Possibly my favorite fight of the night, Shane Burgos versus Edson Barbosa. Now, first, we'll touch on the finish first because I think that is the biggest uh, thing that anyone's talking about from this fight. I watched a medical breakdown of this, and um, I don't remember the guy's name, but Chael quote tweeted it. So if you didn't see this and you want to, I'm going to talk about it quickly. 
But if you want to watch this video I'm about to talk about, it is quote tweeted by Chael. So go to Chael's Twitter, scroll down a little bit, you'll see it. Basically, the doctor said that he, Burgos, was, Burgos was hit by a knockout shot. And basically, he pretty much just toughed it out. And then his body, he was like, oh, I can't get knocked out. But he was hit hard enough to get knocked out. And then eventually his body was like, why didn't you fall? You just got knocked out. And then his body made him fall. So that was the kind of, that was uh, my little rehashing of the science behind that. I suggest you go watch that video because it makes a lot more sense when a doctor is explaining it than when I'm explaining it because I am not a doctor. So, but other than that, you know, that's something, go watch that and then, um, I'm going to move on from the finish because it was crazy. It was wild. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I can't say anything here that you didn't think yourself because most people just saw that and went, oh, my goodness, you know. So that's all I can sit here and say is, oh, my goodness. But, oh, my goodness, did Edson Barbosa look impressive. He looked fast. His conditioning held through up until the finish, um, and he was throwing with high output. And Barbosa throws with high output. He's also putting a lot behind his strikes. When he throws a leg kick, he's throwing leg kicks with bad intentions. Same with body kicks. They're all 100%. All 100% for Barbosa. And he looked quick with them. He looked powerful with all the strikes. Hands too, quick and powerful. That's what I my note here. Quick and powerful. That is Barbosa in... At 145, he's been great at 145. I think he's 3-0 at 145. That's what he said. But I remember he uh, lost a decision that was very... I'm pretty sure he lost against Ige in a not-so-great decision. So um, that's something that is still there. Yeah, he lost to Ige at featherweight. Um but other than that, you know, no, he's two and zero at featherweight, two and one at featherweight with the loss to Ige that the majority of people saw and thinks he won. So, but with that being said, I've sat here for a long time, probably since I started this podcast, and every time I talk about the featherweights, I say we pretty much have a handful of guys. Those guys being Volkanovski, Holloway. Ortega, Yair, Zombie, Cater, and Zabit. I pretty much mentioned those guys, and then I say, hey, there's a big drop-off after that. But I think Barbosa has, you know, the, the skill to get in there with and be mentioned with the likes of those guys. Um, I think that the list of guys that I mentioned a couple months ago that was, you know, back in December— that was, you know, strict. That was, you know, a strict line and a strict drop. But then we saw Cater get beat up pretty bad by Holloway, which which happens, you know. <laughs> you know, there's nothing to be ashamed about. It happens, especially when you're going up against Max. Ask, ask Ortega. It's not the end. You know, you still got still got stuff left. Emmett, Josh Emmett has looked very good, but he is out until... Um, I think he was going to attempt a return in 2021 because of his injury, but that is, you know, 
Not sure if we're going to see Emmett in 2021. Uh, we might have to wait until 2022 with that injury. Arnold Allen has looked very good. Dan Ige has looked very good. Um, Edson Barbosa has looked very good. Uh, like I just said, Chikaze looked very good. Yusuf hasn't looked bad. Bryce Mitchell hasn't fought in a while. So this featherweight division is obviously stacked. And the question is, what is next for Barbosa? He's going to skyrocket in these rankings. Um, when you put on a, I don't want to, I don't know if dominant is the right word because Burgos had his moments. He landed shots, but it was never enough. Um, and another thing about Barbosa that I like is he's playing into the meta of the UFC, which is calf kicks. He's the best at it possibly. Um, the only other guy, Gaethje's also very good at it. There's other guys. I don't want to just, you know, um, single out those two because there's so many others that are great at ca throwing calf kicks but the thing about Barbosa and Gaethje that kind of makes them stand out is they throw with such bad intent when they're throwing leg kicks and there's a lot of interesting fights here for Barbosa anything from seven so I'll just list the names Arnold Allen Dan Ige Giga Chikatse Edson Barbosa pair them up and any way you pair them, it's going to work out. Because those guys, right now, are kind of that second tier of featherweight. So match, pair them up. There's four of them. That's two fights. Put them on the same fight card for all I care. Whether it's Allen and Ige and Chikatse and Barbosa. Hey, sounds like a lot of fun to me. Give me Ige. Or we already saw Ige versus Barbosa, so maybe we don't see that rematch. But, um... Allen versus, you know, Barbosa sounds like a lot of fun. Ige versus Chikatse sounds like a lot of fun. Um, I don't think any of those guys are going to... Oh, my bad. We already have um, the Korean Zombie versus Dan Ige, right? There's me uh, forgetting another fight booking. Just let me double check on that. I'm like 99% sure that that fight has been booked. So my apologies for going on a rant about booking Dan Ige with one of these guys. But, uh, yep, Chan Sung Jung versus Dan Ige for 619. So I don't know what the date is today, but that's got to be coming up soon. But, you know, even even still, um, that fight's going to happen soon. You know, uh, we have... Hakeem Dawadu is taking on Mozvar Ivalev. That fight is going to open up another. If Dawadu or Mozvar come and look very impressive, they could put their name in the same category as those guys. Dawadu is a really fun fighter to watch. After his last fight, I was very impressed, and he's got fan favorite potential, and I talked about that on here. So, um, But right now, give me someone in the top 10 for Barbosa. I'm cool with Giga. I really like Giga. Giga had the first head kick KO after the creation of the head kick KO podcast. So I got to like Giga for that one. But Barbosa versus Giga would be fireworks. If you like if you like kicks, that's a fun fight. So that's a fight I would like. And um, another fight for Shane Burgos. I don't know how long of a recovery we're going to be seeing from him. But um Shane Burgos versus Sadiq Yusuf stands out to me as another really fun fight that I'd like to see for whenever they're both ready to return. That's just something to 
think about because I think that would be entertaining to the highest degree. And then the last thing I'm going to talk about from UFC 262 is Jacare's arm. Jacare broke his arm. So, wishing a speedy recovery to Jacare. Um, he seems in pretty good spirits, but um, that is all for UFC 262. So, we're going to move forward to some other news. What do we have for other news? The biggest piece of other news around the UFC is that we will likely be seeing Francis Ngannou versus Derek Lewis. And it's looking like we're seeing August. This ha- this means a lot. This kind of goes to show that John Jones and the UFC were still on the outs against one another. Because if we if you're the UFC and you can't get John in there to fight Francis, um, and his biggest concern is money. You know, that was the biggest draw. Derek Lewis versus John isn't going to sell as well as John versus Francis. Derek or Stipe versus John, probably. Ooh, that, you know, that has potential, actually. Um, but Stipe has to be the champion for that to have as much uh, potential. So, um, but if they couldn't get John to step in there against Ngannou, I don't know, you know, that means that he's still on the outs. Is it because John's not ready? Because the pitches of John haven't looked great. He's looking like he added weight. Um, Looks like he added body fat, but I don't want to sit here and clown John Jones for adding body fat because that might be what he was trying to do. Um, I don't know. When you change your body that much and add, add on that much weight, you know, he might still be ironing it ironing out some of those changes and making sure he's at a top level when he returns and maybe it just wasn't the right time you know maybe he couldn't be ready in August and if John can't be ready in August that's fine it's fine that if John can't be ready in August I don't expect anyone who's not ready to fight at their top potential if you're not ready to fight at your top potential and you need more time to prepare I'm not going to crucify anyone for that so I understand that 100% and it makes sense. With that being said, um, it looks like Stipe is going to get the winner. So it's looking like it's going to be a while before we see John Jones back in the UFC octagon. Unfortunately, um, I'm not I'm not a John Jones fan, but I want to see John Jones fight again. Not because I dislike him and I want to see him lose, but because he's one of the greatest of all time, whether you like him or not. And I want to see the greats fight. Unfortunately. We might not get that, so it's a shame. It's a shame, but that's what we're dealing with. But we are getting a redo on Francis Ngannou versus Derek Lewis, and if that can be an entertaining fight, um, right the wrong of the first fight, uh, Derek Lewis has earned a title shot. And the nice thing here is we don't um, we don't have to worry about heavyweight getting backed up again. Because there's so many guys who are putting a run together at heavyweight. Volkov has looked very good. Blades isn't too far out of it after his loss. Um, Surreal Gans got some wins together. So there's some guys who are putting together cases for heavyweight title fights. And I hope for Francis to stay active. And if this is a way for Francis to stay active, then that's okay. And, uh, you know, that's pretty much my thoughts on that. So now there were... I've got five other fights that were booked that I think are interesting, and I'm going to run through those five. I'm just going to list them off, then I'll take a second to talk about each of them. First fight, Paulo Costa versus Jared Cannonier, August 21st. 
Second fight, Derek Brunson versus Darren Till, August 14th. Tiago Santos versus Johnny Walker, September 25th. Islam Makhlchev versus Tiago Moises. Um, didn't put the date down. My apologies. And then Mantuez Gamrat versus Jeremy Stevens on July 14th. So, first off, Costa versus Cannoneer. And, you know, maybe even Love Brunson versus Till in there. Um, those are back-to-back weeks in August. Those are going to help us figure out this title picture at 185 because we're bunched up there. And we needed these guys to get matched up, and now they're matched up. Another booking that I don't think is official but uh, is being talked about is Uriah Hall versus Sean Strickland. That's another good fight at 185. And right now we're seeing Vittori versus Izzy are going to fight for the title soon. And then the thing about this is that fight is taking place in June. That is the next pay-per-view. And then we have until August until Paulo, Cannoneer, Brunson, and Till all fight. And these, are, I think, are the right fights for all of those guys. And I'm cool with those, those fights. And the thing about that that I like the most is if Izzy goes out there and gets a good win and wants to stay active... The only option he's going to have to get booked right away is going to be Robert Whitaker. Robert isn't going to fight again for a minute because he deserves a title shot. And if you're looking at Whitaker now, Paulo, booked. Vittori, booked. Cannoneer, booked. Brunson, booked. Till, booked. Hermanson, booked. Hall, getting talked about. Gaslam, just fought. Shabazian, booked. Weidman, injured. Sean Strickland, getting talked about. Kevin Holland, moving to 170. And then Omari Agmedov and Brad Tavares, who might be booked against each other. I don't 100% remember. But the reason I just went through everyone and they're, if they're booked or not is because Whitaker's got no move other than sitting out and waiting for a title shot. And I'm cool with that. I'm 100% cool with that because he earned a title shot. And if Izzy wants to get another fight booked before the 14th of August, Assuming he wins, he's going to have no other option than Robert Whitaker. So I think this is all going to play out well in the long run, and Whitaker's going to get the title shot he deserves as long as Izzy can win against Vittori. So for for these other guys, for Costa and Cannoneer, the winner is going to be in a very good spot. Brunson versus Till, the winner is going to be in a very good spot. If the winner... Especially if it's Cannoneer and Till who wins these, they're going to both be in really good spots to get title fights after Whitaker. If it's Costa and Brunson, we're going to have a little bit more of a discussion because they've already lost to Izzy and they both lost pretty um, pretty uncompetitively, I would add. So, But, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't work your way up again and get another title fight. Especially if you're Paulo and you beat Cannoneer, or if you're if you're Brunson and you beat Till, maybe they match the winners up against each other, and we have a little tournament here. You know, um, if say Costa and Brunson both win, and then you know Costa and Brunson fight each other, the winner's in a really good spot for a title fight um, after Whitaker. Notice how I keep saying after Whitaker because I really think Whitaker is going to get this next shot, and the layout of the division is playing into that. So that is a uh, good thing in my opinion. And then uh, the other fights, Tiago Santos versus Johnny Walker. Not a fight I was expecting, 
but a fight I'm fine with. I was thinking Dominic Reyes versus Thiago Santos, Anthony Smith versus Thiago Santos, but I am 100% cool with Johnny Walker versus Thiago Santos. It really gives these guys an opportunity to get back in the win column, um, especially Santos. So if you can go out there and get a win over Johnny Walker, who is um, really... uh, Johnny Walker, I don't even know how to describe Johnny Walker, what he's, what path he's on in his career right now because he is in such an interesting position. So, I don't know with Johnny Walker. I really don't know with Johnny Walker. But a win over, I know one thing for sure, and a win over Tiago Santos is meaningful. So, and if you're Tiago Santos... Johnny Walker is a good name to get um, to go up against to get yourself back on track. So, um, good booking, good booking, good booking. Didn't see it coming, but very good booking. And um, just a second here, I'm pulling up uh, Johnny Walker's recent fights because. Um, I don't remember who he's fought as of late. Went over Ryan Spann, lost to Corey Anderson and Nikola Kirkhoff. Um, I'm surprised he's getting a fight this high in the rankings. I am. But um, that's what happens when the UFC marketing team gets behind you. At one point in your career, you're going to get more opportunities regardless. Um, some More people know who Johnny Walker is than they know who Magomed Ankalev is. And I don't think any hardcore fan is going to tell you that Walker's better than Ankalev. But more people know Johnny's Walker's name. I would have rather see um, Ankalev or Ozdemir or Anthony Smith. Well, Anthony Smith has already fought for a title, so he's very well known. But I would have liked to see someone else get this shot against Santos. But I'm not mad at it, is what I'm trying to say. I'm not mad at this booking. Is it the best booking for Thiago Santos? No. Not at all. But am I mad at it? No, I'm not. And then, moving down, Islam Makhlchev versus Thiago Moises. This is one that I'm not... How do I feel about this? I'm happy that Islam is staying active. Am I happy he's fighting an unranked opponent? No, because he deserves better. He went out there and dominated Drew Dober, who is now 15th in the rankings. But Islam was in a tough spot. And as to who is going to fight him, because the guys ahead of him are being relatively inactive in the likes of Paul Felder. Paul Felder is not going to take that fight, and I don't blame Paul Felder. Paul Felder is, that would be a terrible stylistic matchup with um, not as much, I don't want to say not as much reward. Well, beating Islam is interesting, because Habib is going to respect you for beating Islam, and for someone who's trying to get a fight against Habib, that would be meaningful. I don't know if Paul Felder is trying to get that fight against Habib. Um, but at the same time, if you're looking at an audience, of the, the fans, if you beat Islam, what, is, what has happened? One of two things happens. Either the winner gets a put over as being very good or Islam gets put as being a fraud. So you have the, you know, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Is it, you know, for example, Johnny Walker, we just talked about him. When Corey Anderson beat Johnny Walker, he didn't get put over by the fans. 
Johnny Walker got put down. When Cheeto Vera beat Sean O'Malley, Cheeto Vera got, you know, put up by the fans because he just went out there and performed. Sean O'Malley, you know, people still look at him in high regards. So one of those two things is going to happen. So I guess it's all risk-reward, risk you know. Like I said, these rankings are going to get a shakeup. Islam is going to move up. You know, that's just the way it's going to work. Um, but I think he's going to stay active. So I think it does make sense in a way. We're taking this fight in July and then getting him another fight in, you know, August, September. Uh, August, not August. August is a little too early. But see, September, October. Rather than right now, if you wanted to get him booked against, you know, one of these other guys who are ranked up high. Whether that's, I don't think we see Hooker take that fight. Um, RDA, I don't think we see RDA take that fight. I don't think we see Darius take that fight. The only interesting thing is Tony Ferguson. Does Tony take that fight? Should he? No. Does he? I don't know. He might. Um, but with that being said, you go out there and beat Moises, you know, you're still a you know, you didn't hurt your, you only raised your stock. You didn't hurt anything. And you'd still be on pace to fight, you know, in the third quarter, borderline fourth quarter of 2021. So that's something to think about in turn, in this booking. Like I said, not ideal, but I think it's going to work out. On the other hand, if this fight was booked for September, I'd be a lot more angry. But since it's July, early July, I, I'm cool with it. Um, once again, similar to the Santos booking, I'm cool with it, but I'm not ecstatic. Um, I don't think it's as good of a booking as, let's say, Costa, Cannonier, and Brunson, too. And then the last one, Gamrot versus Jeremy Stevens. This is a big opportunity for Gamrot. I almost, I almost would have liked to see Gamrot versus Islam more than Moises versus Islam, but, um... Gamrat looked really good in his last couple fights. Jeremy Stevens moving up to 155. Um, I'm gonna be interested. I'm interested to see how he does at 155. Um, I think it's a good move because that 145 division. If you give me, if you give me Jeremy Stevens against anyone in the top 15 at featherweight, um. I'm not, you know, I'm not bullish on a Jeremy Stevens win. You know, looking at, he was ranked around 9 or 10. Ige, Allen, Burgos, Chikadze, Yusuf, Bryce Mitchell, Edson Barbosa. You know, um, Stevens would likely be the underdog in all those, even Mosvar and Dawadu. So I think a move up to 155 is good, and we'll see how, it, good, risky, we'll see how it, how it uh how it pays off for him, I guess. And uh, Gamrot is a good guy to enter the 155 against, um, because Gamrot is highly respected by fans. And a win over Gamrot would be something meaningful, but a win over Gamrot is not some you know he's not going in there and getting his debut against a top 15 guy who looks you know unbeatable in like Islam, you know, or something like that. Um, and when I say when I say unbeatable, I don't mean unbeatable overall. I mean um, many people would consider Jeremy Stevens um, against one of those guys in the top fifteen at lightweight an unwinnable fight for Jeremy. So that's kind of what I was getting at. 
Another piece of news to touch on, Kevin Lee moving off to 170. Something very interesting, very, very interesting for Kevin Lee at 170. Because at 155, a lot of his wins have aged very, very well. Um, You know, his, or a lot of his, excuse a lot of Kevin, you know, Kevin Lee is such an interesting guy. He said all of his wins, when it happened, all of his losses, when it happened, it, it, it looks one way. We're looking back at Kevin Lee's resume now. He's 18 and 16, right? Last lost, Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira is now the champion, and Kevin Lee went how many rounds? Three rounds with him and got caught in a guillotine. Um, with that being said, has Charles Oliveira improved? Yes, likely, yes. But that loss does not look as bad right now. He's got, His last win, Gregor Gillespie. Gregor looked great in his last fight. Great in his last fight. Losses to Dos Anjos. Dos Anjos came back to 155, down at performance over Paul Felder. Lost to Ally Quinta. Ally Quinta has been uh, relatively inactive. Win over Barbosa. I know Barbosa has kind of um, seen a career resurgence and changed his fighting style. Or changed weight classes. He didn't really change his style. Change the weight class, and he, Barbosa has looked much better as of late. But that win for Kevin Lee has aged very well. Tony Ferguson, um, that eight, that loss hasn't aged very well. But um, at the time, Tony was in his prime, so nothing to hold against him there. And then before that was his big run to get up to that Tony fight, a win over Chiesa. That win has aged very well. Even though that was um, not the, if I remember this correctly, because this was in 2017, it wasn't a great stoppage, stopped by Mario Yamasaki, so not a great stoppage. But um, with that being said, he still won that fight. Um, I I actually kind of want to go back and rewatch that fight. And then before that, um, Francisco Trinaldo win. Trinaldo's still doing good in the UFC. Megamed, hopefully he's still good, doing good in the UFC. I know he's still in the UFC, and he has been active. Um, yeah, he's won his last three. Hasn't lost since 2019. So Francisco Trinaldo is doing well in the UFC still. He's only lost two fights since that loss to Kevin Lee. Jake Matthews, that win has aged very well. Magomed Mustafaev, who beat Rafael Fazid, who's, you know, getting up there at 155. So, you know, Kevin Lee's resume has aged a lot, has aged very well. Has aged very, very well. So, losses to RDA, Ally Quinta, Charles Oliveira, Tony Ferguson, Leonardo Santos, and Ally Quinta in the UFC. With the I Quinta loss coming in 2014, Santos loss coming in Kev- in 2015, and currently Kevin Lee is like 30, 28. So those were five and six years ago, so he was in his early 20s. Kevin Lee is not out of this, and I'm interested to see what he can do at 170. Um, a lot of interesting, interesting fight possibilities at 170. Um, I think Kevin Lee versus Hazmat Chumayev, personally. Very fun fight. I'd love to see that fight. I know we're talking about 
Hazmat versus Neil Magny in um in the future. But um if Kevin Lee's moving up to one seventy, then Hazmat is a very um very very intriguing option. We'll see what happens between Bilal Muhammad and Damian Maya as well. Sean Brady, I'd be cool with that. We'll see what happens with Robbie Lawler. Lee Jinglang's also up there. So there's some fun options for Kevin Lee at 170. The one thing I do want to see, though, is Kevin Lee pick a weight class and stay there. He's uh, been up and down. Let's find a weight class. Stay there. That's the one thing that I want to see from Kevin Lee. And I think he can be um, very good. I still think he has high potential. Um, so I don't think Kevin Lee is as bad as many people make him out to be. And I don't think he has reached his potential yet. So we'll see what happens with Kevin Lee. And hopefully he can get some good fight bookings. And let's see if he can go out there and get some impressive wins lined up. And we are running long. So let's make this Rob Font versus Cody Garbrandt breakdown very quick. Um, This card is looking not bad for a fight night. Not bad for a fight night. Um, Jack Hermanson, Ed, Edmund Shabazian is on this card. Yao Xiaonan versus Carla Esparza is a very important fight at 115. That is going to have a big say in what happens next in that division. Looking at the prelims, Ben Rothwell on the prelims. That's a um, big name. Um, Come on now. And Anti Medeiros is on the prelims. So the prelims are looking not um, terrible. I've seen better fight night prelims, but this isn't um, too bad of a fight night prelim. And then the main event, Rob Font versus Cody Garbrandt. This is going to be interesting to me. And this, the winner of this fight, I don't really want to predict this fight because it's not going to be, no fights are easy to predict, but this one especially. Because the question is, what, what Cody do we see? If Cody comes out there and fights to Cody's abilities, Cody's going to win this in a dog walk. It's going to be light work. It's going to be easy. But, you know, Rob Font is no one to scoff at. If Rob Font can find Cody's chin, and if Cody, you know, gets into his, um, gets into a mindset as to where he starts missing on fundamental defensive necessities, Rob Font is going to send him to the shadow realm, and that's how it goes. But if we see the Cody Garbrandt that fought Dom Cruz, Cody's going to you know, walk away with a 50-45, possibly a KO. And I think this is, and this isn't a knock on Rob Font, because I believe Ron Font to be very talented and very impressive and a great boxer. Tremendous boxer. One of the best boxers in that weight class. But some of the performances we've seen from Cody Garbrandt, the good ones I'm talking about, he looks unbeatable. Some nights he looks unbeatable. Do we get unbeatable or do we get very beatable? So this all comes into play as to, I know this is boring for a prediction, but it's true. Um, which 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 guy do we get? If we get the one from Cody, you know, 
championship Cody, he's in a very good spot to win this fight and win, you know, more fights in the future. But if we get, you know, Chinny Cody, Rob Font is going to have an easier night. So I think, and I lean towards the fact that we're going to get a good Cody in this fight. And the reason is, is because he has focused more defensively. I listened to his section or his episode on Joe Rogan. Um, I like watching fighters on Joe Rogan, especially um, a Cody, because he has been through a lot in terms of his career and um, his health. So I did listen to the Cody Garbrandt and the Cody Garbrandt episode on Joe Rogan, and he seemed to be focusing more defensively. And if Cody is good defensively. It's going to be a long night night out for anyone, and hopefully that's the Cody we see because that Cody is a superstar, and um, I like to watch great fighters. He's great. He'd be a superstar. Hopefully that's what we see. I've said it about 15 times. Hopefully that's what we see, but hopefully that's what we see. So um, that's the last thing I'm going to say for this. I'm excited for this week's main card especially. Main card's looking great. Prelims, some underrated scraps on the prelims. Um, good fight night card and, um, that is May, yeah, May 22nd. Then the week after that we have, oh, we got a week off here coming up. Okay. Oh, no, we don't. What am I doing? I'm looking at the schedule and I'm getting confused myself here. May 22nd. Okay. Sunday. Okay. Saturday. Okay. Okay. I don't think we have a week off. Okay. Okay, sorry about that. I was looking at some few. Got excited. Started looking ahead. Um, sorry about that. Like I said, go follow my other social medias, Twitter, TikTok. If you like this podcast, you'll love those. MMA content throughout the week. And thank you for watching this episode of the Head KO Podcast. Don't forget to tune in next week because we're going to be back at it talking about that fun fight card. And we're going to be looking forward to the next week's fight card. And I'll keep my eye on the news in the UFC. And I'll bring that news to you. So thank you for watching this episode of the Head KO Podcast.